This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. When she first began the second iteration of her career in jewelry, designer Kimberly McDonald launched with a distinctly signature look. No one was working with geodes in the way that she was. Prior to the Kimberly McDonald entry into the luxury and fine jewelry markets, geodes and raw crystals had been treated casually and simply, often paired with leather cord, and I can attest to this. I had always been a fan, like Kimberly, of rocks and minerals, and I loved that I could wear these around my neck. Kimberly changed the game. Her pieces are made by hand in 18 karat gold, using the highest level of precious and semi-precious stones, often in overscale size with irregularly shaped and sized bezels, the hallmark of her style. Her pieces pop with color, diamonds framing and playing against the crystals found naturally in geodes. I talked to Kimberly about how she calls inspiration, the designer-retailer relationship, her foray into the home decor space, her top three favorite stones to work with, her collection's biggest moments from being featured in Sex in the City to the piece Michelle Obama wore, which now resides at the Smithsonian, paired with her inaugural gown. We also touch on Kimberly's interest in animals. If you know Kimberly, you know she's the definition of a true fashionista and a beauty junkie, so I get the scoop on her favorite makeup products and decade for style. Listen in on this conversation with an artist whose core materials just happen to be opals, agates, and diamonds. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm great. Long time no see. I know. I miss you. I miss you too, but we're chatting now, so. Exactly. Kimberly, what were you like as a child? Quiet. Quiet. I like to, I spent a lot of time by myself. I was a rock collector. I loved music. Um, I loved like drawing we had a basement that just had like pretty much everything a kid could want. And to get away from my younger siblings, I would just go down there and put on like Michael Jackson records and either roller skate around the downstairs or sometimes I would have a friend over a lot of time I spent just, I was like very in my head, quiet. Do you think you get to be as creative in your work as an established designer as you were when you first started? I think, think there's uh, yes and no because now I have the ability to make to be very creative but you also have to keep in mind what sells so I think that sometimes you get trapped in that cycle of trying to make what you think is going to sell and I've been victim to that but and I can look back over the past 11 years and I can see the periods where I was designing for sales versus designing what I loved. Actually, that was one of, it sort of brings me to one of my questions for you, which was exactly that. 
do you have to plan and manage the ratio of your one of a kind pieces with the more commercial lower price point pieces or is your business not dependent on that? But I think what you just said was that that has ebbed and flowed for you. I think that the irony is I think the more I've tried to design for a price point or tried to design um, for what I thought would sell um, because I think the pieces are so authentic. I feel like it doesn't work for me. I mean, there are other uh, categories where that that plan will absolutely work but I think when it's one of a kind and each piece is so considered when you start trying to just pump out what you think is gonna sell it I doesn't, it doesn't work backfired my, yeah my experience yeah it doesn't have the same soul when are you most inspired is there a time of day is there a, a moment in time when you're feeling most inspired and, and where does that happen or can can it strike anywhere what is your what it is really your inspiration does happen like? kind of it does happen kind of anywhere if I'm like playing with the materials and it, it just, you know, I can look at them and appreciate them and love them one minute. And then, you know, the next day I might walk into my office and see the same stones. And all of a sudden it's almost like, I think what probably like a math uh, genius sees when they look <laughs> at a, at a formula, all of a sudden it just makes sense to me. And the stones start going like, okay, this should be here and this should be this and this should be that. Um, and it just kind of strikes. It's, it's very organic. Is there, how do you get your best ideas? Do you think, is there a common denominator? I, I think you alluded to it a bit just now when you said, when I kind of think very authentically and let myself flow though, that's when I'm the most successful. Um, but true. is there any, any other, any other element in the formula that allows you to create your, your best ideas? I think mainly just taking any like braces off my brain and, and letting it just really be like, um, I don't have to make today. I don't have to make a bunch of rings today. I don't have to, you don't have to do this. And, right. and for me personally, that's like the, the worst thing you can tell me is I can't do something or I have to do something. Right. Um, because it's so confining. Um, my, I don't work under that set of circumstances. So when I feel like I can just do whatever, um, and I get that urge, that's, that's when it really happens. And then as soon as I feel it, I throw on some music, close my door, and th then I don't want to be bothered. Is there a kind of music that you listen to, or is it just whatever you're feeling at the time? Usually rap. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. I have a feeling you might say that. Well, actually, it's not my favorite genre of music, but when it comes to, when it comes to design, there's something about the repetitive, the beat and stuff like that. I feel like I can hear it, but it's not like, I'm not distracted. I'm not a rapper, so I'm not trying to sing along. And <laughs> right. it's just that kind of like, it's like a beat. It keeps the, right. it just, yeah. What does your desk look like? You were just describing your desk. My desk here. Yeah. Um, what does it look like? It's this beautiful old, um, it's like a drafting table, actually. Yeah. With our carpet. And it has drawers of materials and I usually sit over here sometimes I go over to the kitchen table um and just you know oh that's just pictures uh, is, is showing watches, me her you know Great. the works there you go and then I have this filled with there. stones and rocks <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool a drafting table must be the perfect uh the perfect 
kind of desk for you. Do you record when you, are there times that you, are there times that you find yourself having to record your ideas somewhere? Do you, do you write them down? Do you draw pieces or do you write about your pieces? Where do you, where do you find yourself having to record ideas if you're out and about and kind of on the run? I use my notes section you do. a lot. Yeah. And I'll just do like a couple of words because at the time I might have the idea, it's not completely formed. And so I don't want to like fence it in. So I just do like a couple bullet points. I love the comment that you just made a a minute ago about having braces on your brain. I've never heard a creative um, describe it quite like that, but that's that's a really um, descriptive visual. And I would imagine that that would be how you feel when you're confined to having to design for a certain purpose. Do you think it's difficult to be creative in crafting fine jewelry and being a fine jeweler? Is it, is it difficult to be creative? Think of the industry as a whole. For me, it's not, but I feel like I'm in a very specific niche and I feel like because each stone that I work with is one of a kind, it lends itself to just organically it being like a creative process because you can't do the same thing with like this geode and that geode or this geode at that agate, that agate and that opal. Like when they're all different, you obviously can't set out to try to put them all in the same space. How exactly do you choose your stones or do they choose you? I mean, both. And the quotes from Auntie Mae, my favorite movie. Give us the quote. (laughs) When she says (laughs) you have some girl with braces on her brain. And I love it. Um, oh, that is, that is the, oh, that's a quote from Eddie yeah. Dame. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. When she's talking about his girlfriend, the, the blonde from Connecticut. Yeah. The quote from Auntie Mame. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, it's everything I do. I, I hate to say the same thing. Like it is truly organic. The stones just kind of, I feel like they choose me. Well, well we choose each other. Yeah. When designing a piece, do you first envision color or do you, or see color or do you see shape? Probably color, probably color. Yeah, you have a really, you have a, you have a strong tie to color, I think. Yeah, color is very important to me and the mixture yeah. of different colors and, and, the, and then a subcategory of the mixture of colors and then the mixture of textures. Yeah. What is it about rocks, gems, and minerals that resonates with you? We know that, you know, it, it, you've loved them since you were a child. Me too. Uh, we've talked about that before. Do you know what it, what do you think it is that, that resonates? I think, um, I think a couple of things. I think, first of all, the fact that they've been here in this planet absor- ab- absorbing the natural energy of this planet for billions of years. <laughs> you know, um, hundreds of millions of years, let's say. Um, so they've been through every famine, every war, every great time, every terrible time, floods, storms, everything. And they are still there and then they're gorgeous and we can't manufacture these things. They're just completely, you know, from nature filled with natural energy. Um, and, and the, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the main thing. Do you have a few, per, or or some, maybe one or a few personal favorite stones or gems? Yeah, I think my top three in there, it's kind of a three-way tie, are opal, 
geode and agate. Yeah. Is it, how hard is it to let go of a piece once you've spent time creating it? It's so difficult. This is a big Sometimes one. Sometimes I literally have like a small depression after I sell something. You do? How long does that depression last? Um, you know, the, there are pieces that I still regret selling or not regret, but I still think about and just because wow. I just, I have such a tie to the material and I think it's an energetic thing. Um, you know, it's, I feel like some of them are kind of just always with me as weird as that sounds. It just yeah. feels like there's a part. It's so personal for me. Okay. This is a weird question, but maybe not on that note. Has it, have you ever sold something to a customer, you know, been disgruntled by uh, who actually ended up pur- purchase, purchasing a piece of yours or do you try not to go there? I try not to go there. I think that in my history, there's one situation that stands out where, um, as you know, because we were friends, um, I was a curator for private jewelry collections before I started my own thing. And I had a very good client actually here in Atlanta. Um, and she was a great client as a curator. And when I started my business, she was just not really into the stones. And um, the story is that uh, one time town and country ran a, a picture of these beautiful pink geodes, like Pepto-Bismol pink, 100% natural with this crisp white frame, most beautiful stone. Is that I've a Cabalta calcite? No, this was a geode. Oh, geode. Oh, sorry. Yeah. This was an actual geode, tiny, just beautiful. And it was set with irregular shaped diamonds and um, water opals. And, oh, and sounds beautiful. it was, oh, yeah. Um, so she begged me for this piece and I said, no, you don't like these stones. And she says, I promise I'm going to take great care of them and I'll leave them to you in, in my will. So long story short, unfortunately, my client passed away a few years ago um, and I don't know where those earrings are. And I think that's probably the one that bothers me because they weren't left to me and you know, I don't know where they went. Oh, I wonder and if there's a way to find out. Thing. I mean, like you really couldn't find that pink. I've in, I would say easily I've had 30 to 40,000 pairs of geodes in my possession and I have never seen this color before. Wow. Oh, it's killing me just thinking. About <laughs> it. I want to know where they are. I know. me too. What's the most difficult thing about being an artist, but having to manage a business, Kimberly? Always a tough one, right? being responsible to make money. (laughs) Okay. Anything else? Um, About managing people or having... Yeah, I'm not good at that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm really a loner. I'm definitely an introvert. And, um, you know, I know that, like, not everybody... No one else is supposed to take my business as personally as I do. That's right. So... You know, no one else is getting upset that we made a really nice profit on a pair of pink geode earrings, you know, eight right. years ago. That's right. Um, just me, you know. So right. it's, it feels like a little bit of like isolation sometimes. Mm-hmm. What are the things that are important to you in your relationships with retailers? Uh, when, you're, when, you're, when you're forging a relationship with a retailer or developing a relationship or in a relationship with a retailer, what are the things that are important to you about that retailer, about the people behind that retail business? Um, absolute honesty is very important, especially in this climate where so many brick and mortar uh, stores are struggling. It's important because I, 
I don't mind going into something I know might be difficult. I just like to be on the same page. And, and then following that loyalty is hugely important to me. And it will, I mean, I am crazy loyal if I tell you I'm going to do something or if I'm with you, if we made money together one year and your business is off the next year, I'm not the one who's bailing on you. That's not me. Mm-hmm. So those two things are important. And then um, more as an external factor, I just, I want to know that I am in company with other brands that are on the same level. So, you know, unfortunately in the last decade, I've worked with stores. When I started, they might've been like the top, you know, top 5% of stores in the country and through changes of ownership or whatever, now they're carrying things that for me aren't of my ilk. Um, So that's also important because I feel like, you know, I I do have a luxury product and I want to stay in that market. Do you think, I mean, this is particularly true, you would say for the fine jewelry business. Yes. You know, having an eclectic mix of merchandise as a department store is one thing, but um, within fine jewelry, it's, it's most important, very Mm -hmm. important to be in the right company Mm -hmm. because of the, the price of the, of the goods, right? It's the price of the goods. It's the quality of the work. It's the reputation of the brand. You certainly don't want to put, I mean, I make everything in the United States. So we pay the top dollar for manufacturing and I stand for life, stand behind any product I made. As long as you return it to me and don't take it to another jeweler, I will fix it. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But I, you know, I want to be with other people who have that same quality and those same philosophies offer the same, you know, workmanship offer the same, you know, standing behind their, their merchandise. Yeah. Your pieces are crafted with love and they're so personal, as we were saying. Because of that, do you have an ideal customer? What does that person look like or feel like or sound like? Or I don't think I have one ideal customer. I think we. I'm so lucky that the collection attracts men and women. I mean, everyone, everyone I know who is a collector of my work had a rock collection as a kid. So it starts there. Like they love the material. They're like, I go to trunk shows and I hear great stories. Oh my gosh, my family took a trip and we busted open geodes on the side of the road in Arizona. It's, I think when you can bring something to someone at a high end quality luxury level, but it also ties them to great memories from their childhood. It's like, it's great. So it's like that. And then also I think that my clients, my collectors, are just like, they're very unique. They're not trying to impress anybody. They don't need to wear, you know, certain names. It, they might wear them, but right. when they wear it, it's a lot they, of- they own it. So if they're wearing like a Chanel jacket, they might be wearing it with like a pair of joggers. They're not right. like, they're just not dressing out of the book or off the runway. They're, they're not really precious. Exactly. Yeah. Have there ever been pieces or a piece, and I feel like I've kn- I might know some of these stories, that came together by accident that ended up being a huge hit? Let's yes. talk about those. <laughs> so we have in our collection something called the Gracie chain, and that's her right there, mm-hmm. the little black one looking at you. <laughs> Named after your dog. <laughs> yes. When Gracie was a puppy, I used to bring her and her boyfriend, Oliver, to work with me every day in their little Louis Vuitton bag. 
<laughs> and they stayed in their little, they had a little hut in my office. And one day I couldn't find, I think it was a small opal. So I'm looking everywhere on the floor. And as I'm crawling around, I get to their little tent. And literally in the tent, I found that opal. I found like a, an antique little charm. I want to say it was like a rocking horse or a camel. It was some kind of an animal. Wow. I found a diamond slice. I found like three or four baby geodes. And it was so cute that we ended up making these chains that we call the Gracie chain. And it's literally, it's almost like a diamonds by the yard. That's a Tiffany design. Um, so it's like a length of chain and then it would have like a little diamond bezel set geode and then a, a length of chain. And then it might have a little opal. And then we, I, I like to collect authentic antique charms. So everyone has some kind of an antique charm and those always sell. So when did, they, when did that collection, when did the Gracie collection first launch? I would say nine years ago. Nine years ago. Wow. And those nine still 10, do yeah. really well. Yeah. But like everything, we don't make mass produce. So I might make, you know, 10 of them a year. Um, unless someone requests, like if someone sees a, sees a picture somewhere in a magazine or uh, on our Instagram, if they're scrolling back, um, and then they want something, we'll do custom uh, pieces, but we try, I mean, I try not to overmake anything because it needs to, it, it is special. Yeah. Describe a career low and how you got through it for anyone mm -hmm. that might, might be, might have struggled with the same thing or might be struggling with the same thing. Is there anything? Yeah. I think recall? when I first, I think my, my first few years were just like a dream, like, you know, my first store was Bergdorf Goodman. Yeah. I met, I mean, I had known you before we were working together. I was on Sex in the City. I was on every major red carpet. And um, when I, when that happened to me, no one doing my genre of jewelry was on major red carpets. So I think when I broke through, it caused a flood of other people to come after me. And some of them had been in business before me, some had not, but it, it caused a, a huge flood of copies and appropriations of my stuff. And I think it, I think for a good year or two, it really got to me yeah. that I just felt frustrated. You know, I'm self-funded, you know, uh, I have a business partner, we're two women, you know, I don't have a rock and roll star boyfriend or a billionaire dad to put me in business. Like this really came, everything has come to me organically and I'm grateful for that. I wouldn't really have it any other way, right. but it is frustrating to see people who come by or like, you know, big companies out of India that will come by and just completely knock off your whole collection. <laughs> and you know, you and other people would say, Oh, you gotta ignore it. And it's, I can't describe it if you haven't been in that position, but it's, it really crushes you and it just takes time. And then yeah, how I got through that was, over time, you know, of course I kept functioning. It didn't like, you know, incapacitate me. It just right. was no. like, it was Certainly definitely, not. I felt sometimes like I didn't want to make things that were new because I knew that someone else was going to copy it. Oh, it made um, you extra protective of it putting, did. it made so you guarded, created, it, it made you go, it put a brace on your brain. <laughs> exactly. But you know how I got through it? Cause now I don't care. I really don't care. I, two things helped me through it that every time someone would bring to me bring up a copy to me they would always say it doesn't look it doesn't have the energy I knew it wasn't yours and that to me was complete validation and then the other thing is if you watch a lot of these companies 
they're not successful when they're trying to, you know, they knock you off for a year or two, then they're on to the next thing and they might be financially successful, but they don't have a base. Like they don't have, you know, I feel like whether I'm up here at the top of who's selling or I'm in the middle, I consistently have my core DNA and I don't vary from that. And yeah, now it doesn't matter. Now it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to you. And authenticity, I think, matters now more than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Describe a career high. Like, what, what comes to mind? When, I mean, you've had a lot of them. I, I, I know that. Yeah. But, but does some, one thing come to mind? Is it, was it the Sex in the City moment? Was it something else? I think it was probably, uh, you know, working with uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama on right. the second inaugural ball gown. Um, not only did, you know, cause it's, it was just so out of the blue and we literally had, I think 10 days. God, the best things happen that way. Don't they? Yeah. They I mean, I really was do. walking out of my office right before Christmas, as you know, everyone shuts down at Christmas. Yes. And I literally was walking out the door and someone said, Oh, Meredith, who's the first lady stylist is on the phone. And I, of course, you know, came back, talked to her and she said, here's what we got. Here's what we might think. What we're thinking. There's no guarantee. There will be other dresses. And she said, would you work with Jason Wu? You know, we need a, we need an embellished something to hold the dress together. I had a couple conversations with Jason, never met. It was seamless. He loved my design. He's great. They're great over there. My jeweler stayed open to get it done for me over the holidays because as you know, the, the inauguration is like in mid January, I think. That's right. So, um, and then I, I had two girls take a train down from my office with a ton of jewelry. And not only did she wear the dress, but ev- all of the jewelry was mine. And I, that was just humbling. Like it, it was, was such a big moment. And then, you know, now to know that that dress is forever in the Smithsonian. Is um, the, bro- no. is the, is the clip there too? Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Describe it for, uh, w- describe it just so we so, can re-remember re- so what that piece was right. like. So one of the signatures of my collection is um, this erect, all different shapes and sizes of diamonds. And when I started doing that, really no one else was doing it. So at, especially at that time, it was very signature Kimberly McDonald. Um, and so the ring is embellished with all, it's pear-shaped, it's emerald cut, it's round, it's marquise, but it's all sort of this chunky, just very organic. And then it holds together this beautiful red silk, silk, I think, silk or taffeta um, gown. Oh, so it was stunning. What are some other favorite so, uh, celebrity moments who what well, piece in the city who what piece was. were they who what piece were they wearing and what did you love about about it so okay, sex so in the, the city sex in the city too when, i mean she wore my stuff most of the movie but when she walks out of that she's doing her eyeliner in the mirror oh. to go meet aiden and the mirror is a close-up of half of her face with the eyeliner and just this huge five drop geode earring i literally like patrick mcdonald and i went to the premiere at the Paris Theater, and uh, we squealed when we saw it. On, it, you know, it's like it's like fifty feet tall. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, I remember seeing it. I rem- that was what was so much fun for me too about, you know, that whole era of Pat Field styling for the show and styling for the films and being a fashion editor at a place like Cosmo at the time and some of the things that we were borrowing for our covers and our shoots um, Pat had just had and tailored for Sarah Jessica. And 
it was just, it was a really fun, I did a story on them at the time. It was a really fun mm -hmm. moment. I, and it, one of the things that was so much fun for me, because as you know, I'm a huge accessory lo accessories lover and a big time jewelry lover. So watching the, the films and seeing all my friends' stuff and all these, yeah. paired with all these amazing outfits. So I think mm -hmm. what was so beautiful, uh, those earrings are stunning, by the way. It's like a triple or four geo drop earring, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. In like an iridescent white slash snowy blue, pale blue. Yes. yes. And it is just, it's, it's style. The earrings are styled to perfection by Pat. It's like, that is the perfect outfit for those earrings. Her makeup was perfect. And it was very Kimberly McDonald. Like the whole head yes. to toe was so Kimberly McDonald. Yes. I remember that. What I else? missed that time too, because I yeah. think that um, there was such a, there's maybe more freedom with what you can and can't wear. Like I like the time now too, that what any body type is fine, whatever suits your lifestyle. There's no, like you have to have this, but, but I loved that time because it was the beginning of what we're in now. And it was so exciting because every idea was fresh. Like you said, like the way she put the booties with that dress, I think it might've been a Fendi dress. And then the earrings were all organic, but the dress was like super like refined. And it yeah. was just like, it was so fresh. Yeah, that's my favorite. My favorite aesthetic is high, low, and eclectic. I love mm -hmm. it. But you're right. She really brought that look to yeah. the world. To yeah, to, she to changed the industry, and not just not just ready to wear clothing or anything like that. Like accessories, the whole thing, the entire, like you said, the makeup, everything head to toe. She really revolutionized how women could just wear what they love and throw it all together. And it, right. it, it seems weird when you say it, but it always works. Always. If you wear oh. what you love, it always comes together. Any other favorite celebrity moments? Well, I was really lucky. Um, as you know, I've worked with Patrick McDonald since almost day one. And um, what does Patrick do for you? So for people that may not know. Um, Patrick is sort of our brand ambassador. He helps us. Uh, Patrick has taken some time off for personal uh, leave, but he comes back in May, so I can't wait. Um, but he has always just been like a brand liaison. He is uh, steeped in knowledge and contacts in the fashion industry, and he's just always sort of helped me meet the right people. So Patrick and I used to go and stay for a couple of weeks, uh, leave New York, go to LA for a couple of weeks around award season. And our first, I would have to say our first couple of years were my favorite. I mean, my first year I got Halle Berry. Well, I was going to say, do you, do you remember who your very first celebrity was? Was it Halle Berry Golden Globes or? My very first celebrity was Stacey London. Okay. Um, right. Yes. Um, and then, yes, I would say Halle Berry, I think after that on the Golden Globes and the same Golden Globes, we had Holly Hunter Oh, and yes. we had Jane Krakowski. I mean, I was like, forget it. You couldn't tell me anything. I was <laughs> so happy. And then we got Michelle Pfeiffer for the Oscars. So then I was just like, you're done. You know, done. Yeah, that's it. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So as we're saying, for many, many years at this point, your jewelry has been all over red carpets. And for people not in the industry who aren't aware, describe what outfitting a celebrity for the red carpet is as an independent designer. Well, I just, I want to just start by saying we don't really do a lot of red carpet anymore because so much of it is paid um, and we That's don't pay anyone. To, right. Yes. Let's so, talk about so that. So back in the day, you would That's work what I'm with trying to talk about. Right. <laughs> you would work with a stylist 
and yes. you would, you know, send out a memo and they would try it. And everything is, everything is maybe until they step out of the car. I mean, I, I know that as had, an editor. I know yeah, that. I've had jewelry on yeah. one of the yeah. top female recording artists of all time. And another jeweler found out while she was in the car on the way to the Vanity Fair party that they that she wasn't wearing their jewelry and it was swapped in the car. So it's like, I've learned, do not, until they're on the carpet, you don't know. You don't know, um, but, but for reasons like that, but then also a number of reasons, like, you know, the person themselves can change their mind. Absolutely. Or a dress absolutely. can get torn or that they're just- we were supposed to get someone who was Oscar nominated. I went to her house. She was putting on her dress. We put the jewelry on her. Everything was fine. We left, we thought in the bag, she walked the red carpet and she had forgotten that she wanted to wear a cuff with this dress. And so she had another designer from a photo shoot and she switched jewelry last minute. And you know, those things back then it was heartbreaking. Now I understand the business so much more. Yes. I'm just like, ah, ah. Right. And to be honest, uh, to be brutally honest, not everybody can afford the earrings that you see on the red carpet. So does it, it definitely helps get your name out there. Yes, it validates your talent. It validates your appeal, but it's, it's a great showcase. Always, it's exactly. a showcase for the right, people. Exactly. Beautiful so, showcase. You know, now with like Instagram and the internet and stuff like that, there are so many other ways to also showcase that, you know, of course, if it's someone we love, if it's someone we've worked with before, if it's someone we're excited about, we're happy to loan, but we don't, we don't pay. We don't, you know, it's just like, plus at a certain point for me, I like to constantly challenge myself and evolve. So if you've been, you know, if you've done certain things repeatedly, I want to do the new thing. I want to do the next thing. You yeah. know, you've had a lot of success in that category. Speaking of which you've branched into really special home decor. Mm-hmm. That's the latest for you. That's true. Have you had to to learn any skills or techniques in doing so? Is there anything that you needed to reteach you? Like, for example, I was a print magazine editor for many, many years. And when I was about to launch Story and Rain, I had to teach myself about all things tech and digital. Like, what are, are there skills or techniques that you've had to brush up on or learn about very quickly? Accepting the word, accepting the phrase, we can't do that. (laughs) Because in jewelry, I know how jewelry is made. So, and I work with the best jewelers. You, if they even try to tell me it can't happen, I have my one guy I go to, and he never, not once, knock on wood, has ever told me he can't do something. (laughs) So I got spoiled by him. So when you go into another area, you know, like making a table. And I had a vision for this table and, you know, we, what I have done is I've hired an expert who has a background in furniture design and manufacturing. So, you know, and he'll say the reason it hasn't been done is because you can't do that. It won't hold up. It won't this, it won't that. Um, And then other than that, so, so that's for some of the pieces that we produce, but I've also been so lucky to partner with, you know, Mark Phillips rugs, and with Circa um, wall coverings in LA. So I'm working with experts that are the top in their field. So they have been so generous and they've guided me and um, they don't say no because it, just like me and jewelry, they know how to make a concept come to life. That's fantastic. Which do you prefer at this point, Kimberly? Jewelry design or home decor? 
can you not choose? I think jewelry is always going to be my first love because it's just, you know, it's what I know. It's what I loved first, but I get so excited about the home products. Um, you know, I love to see, you know, the new materials, like we're working with some new materials for the troughs that we make and, um, the materials get me excited mostly. Yeah, um, I mean, but no, I, I really love the home stuff. I walked into, out, I think our fav, your favorite store, my favorite store, Fred Siegel um, in LA, the new Fred Siegel. I was a big fan of the classic Fred Siegel that was on, mm-hmm. was it Melrose for so many years in Crescent Heights? And I walked into the new Fred Siegel and saw a whole Kimberly McDonald room and it got me so, so excited to see it yeah. all together in one place. Why did you get into home decor? How did the opportunity present itself? Or did you seek the opportunity out because you're a lover of interior design? Um, I, it was a combination of things. I think I've always, um, I've always used organic stones and materials in my own personal decor. Um, and then there was a point, I would say seven or eight years, about seven years ago where I said to Trish, I said, you know, the jewelry market is oversaturated. There's so much out there um, that I think it's going to be a rough couple years for, you know, it's hard to compete when you, um, I don't want to say hard to compete. It's, it's a different animal when you are exactly when you're dealing with other companies that have, for example, there are a lot of companies out of India and they do a lot of copies and they have very deep uh, resources, so they can provide, you know, everything on memo. Well, I mean, I have to, I'm a small business. I have to stay in business. So I have to sell, and then I have to pay my people, right. and that's how it goes. So I, I said, you know, we should offset this, and we should explore outside of jewelry with the same aesthetic. Um, and we have these beautiful materials so I had the thought and then Patrick introduced me to Jamie Adler and, um, you know, we started with the wallpaper and a few desktop accessories and that it was very successful from day one, you know, and I now need some doing- of your wallpaper. This is crazy. I don't know where I would put it in this, in our space, but I, we, I've said this a million times, not to cut you off. Mm-hmm. I need to have you some of that. It will make you feel so happy every time you walk past. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's so you too, because it really, it's like it's organic, but also over the top. It's exactly yeah, it's so that that's so perfect. It's true. Um, all right, well, on to another subject, which is very dear to you. Do you consider yourself an animal rights activist? Describe the work you've done on behalf of animals. <laughs> activist just has such a. How do you describe, I, I was curious because you've been, I, I yeah. think, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I, I own it. I think I am an activist. Um, yes, I have always loved animals. Um, I'm very good friends with Cornelia Guest and, you know, she really opened my eyes to a lot of things, probably eight to 10 years ago, we started becoming friends and she would post these things. And it was at a time I was still eating meat. And, um, thanks to Cornelia, I have not eaten pork in nine years. I haven't eaten beef in like six or seven years and now any kind of poultry in two years. So it was like a gradual phasing Mm -hmm. out. Um, 
I don't really know why it took me time to phase it out, but it did. But um, I just feel like when you know, it's almost like ignorant. The reason they say ignorance is bliss is because when you're ignorant to something, you just don't know. Once you know, you become responsible. Now you're actively making a choice. If you say, I know this is how pigs are treated their entire life. They can't move. They can't breathe. They're standing in their own feces and I'm fine still eating it. You've made a choice that cruelty to that sentient being is okay with you. And if that's your choice, that's fine. I'm, I'm not, I don't bother anybody. You can go to dinner with me, you can eat what you want. I prefer you don't eat pork or veal in front of me. But if you do, it's not like I'm going to throw a fit. I'm just going to probably not go to dinner with you again. That's it. You know, that's my choice. So I feel that once you are informed and you make a choice, you are conscious now. You are accepting all of the energy that came to you through that meal, through that whatever. So my choice is not to partake in those things. And then as far as like animal rescue, we regularly support, uh, especially because I moved, uh, because I lived in Southern California for so long, they have a huge, uh, shelter problem. You know, these public shelters, we fund them with our tax dollars. But for example, in California, I think five of the top 10 kill shelters in the whole country are literally outside of Los Angeles. And I know the people of Los Angeles are such like, like, you know, spiritual kind people and they're so, you know, all such caretakers. And it's just a shocking distinction that like you leave LA now you're in the desert and you're in a completely different place and there's dog fighting there's overbreeding there's you know and you know I'm a chihuahua lover yes and so chihuahuas and pit bulls are the number one euthanized turtles and yes turtles and everything turtle too so yeah so we do a lot of dog rescue we support um lots of different charities in Africa we um I also love rhinos, so we support a few different uh, sanctuaries that uh, rescue uh, orphaned baby rhinos and raise them and re-release them. So yeah, it's it's important to me. It's important enough I put it on my body. Yeah, and I feel like it's uh, <laughs> right. It's um, your tattoos we're referring to, uh, but it's something <laughs> that probably was inside of you for long before you met Cornelia. I would say. Mm-hmm. And- just that, that yeah. um, her, the friendship with her inspired you to take things a little further. Yes. I'm definitely an empath. Like I think yeah. that, you know, and you know, not everybody is, but, right. but I am. So. Right. Okay. Let's do a lightning round to close this out. Ooh. Favorite. I love having these conversations with you. <laughs> I'm scared. No, no. Favorite, <laughs> favorite, favorite item of makeup. Oh gosh, I don't know the name of it. Um, You're I'll good with this. Name. We're counting on you, Kimberly. It's this amazing new, um, it's a serum, but it has color in it and it has hyaluronic acid. So instead of wearing a base, I just put that on. It gives you a dewy finish. I was just talking to you know, facialist, you know, Joanna Vargas Skincare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wrapped a podcast with Joanna and she mentioned kind of the same product. She said that there is a um, the skin sort of a serum with a little color to it that she's loving by Ilya. I'm going to grab it and tell you if it's the same one. Okay, Hold perfect. On. Next question for you while you, while, you, while you go and grab the details. Favorite fragrance, Kimberly? My favorite fragrance is uh, Amber Nuit by Christian Dior. 
Here it is. It is. Look. Oh, it's the same thing. Oh, it's the same boy. thing. It's it's the best thing for wow. your face. Wow. We had two <laughs> tastemaker industry insiders give us the same product recommendation. I know when Joanna <laughs> when Joanna mentioned this to me, I was like, "This is perfect. I need to go and get it." Yeah. I actually I, I don't have any of that anymore. All all of my tinted sunscreens have expired or are expiring. And this seems like a miracle product. Oh, I am. This is. It feels so good on your skin. Wow, you're gonna love it. Okay, favorite fragrance. We did that one. Favorite restaurant. You're good with this. Where? <laughs> Just can't, what's I think? What what comes to mind? The Ivy in L.A. on Robertson. Okay. Current, <laughs> current style icon. Me. I mean, I love my style. I don't, yeah. And Kanye, you know. You and Kanye. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Ideal <laughs> vacation. Uh, gosh. I have to, I'm not a vacation person. Like, as you know, I travel a lot for work to tropical destinations and I always work Make in some downtime. Yeah. Like, I love what I do. I, I, I'm ready to get back to work. <laughs> is there a part of the world that you love? Do you like beach? I mean, is, are you a beach uh, I do love the beach. Yeah. What are you watching on TV? I hate TV. Um, <laughs> I mean, if I really, I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, and when I do, it's junk food. I want to, I, 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 know. I will yeah. binge on reality TV, yeah. you know, Vanderpump Rules or Kardashians or something that, t that I don't have to think about. Yes. It's just kind of like watching okay. a train wreck and going, ha, 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 this makes Best. my life great. <laughs> you, and a, you and a lot of people. Best accessories in a film. Could be new, could be best accessories on film. Gosh. I mean, I, you know, I feel like we already talked about it. I mean, I think everything Pat Fields did, the bags, the shoes, the jewelry, that, I mean, I can't pick one certain thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, final question. Favorite decade or era for style? Right now. Right, right now. now. I, I, love that, I love that you can wear what you like, wear what fits your body, wear, however you want your body to look. You can, um, you can, there's not, there, there isn't that pressure of like, oh, everybody's wearing cropped jackets this season. Well, if a cropped jacket doesn't look good on you, you don't have to feel bad. You can wear whatever you want, you know? It is a real um, anything goes moment. In I fact. love it. I love, and I love the mixes. Like I love being able to wear like athleisure wear and then throw on like a, a Chanel jacket or like a pair of Alaya boots or something like that. Um, so yeah, right now. Well, this was great, Cam D. I could chat with you for hours. Same, I miss you. Great talking to you. All right, bye, honey. Bye. <laughs>